0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. And while you're doing that, just another quick story. Um, A week ago, Thursday I think it was, um, I was on the porch at home and I was trying to figure out trying to think of what I was going to talk about this morning. And all I could think about was, it takes a village. It takes a village. And I guess that was like, it takes a village in the context of raising a child. And right around the same time, by happenstance, uh, Floyd sent me a text asking me what the title of the lesson was going to be. And he said he had a short video about children. Since it's time to go back to school, and we need to place a great importance on our youth. And so there it was. It takes a village. And so that's what I told him was the title today. So Adrian, if you can play the video,
1: Here at CCAC for their Student Club Activities Festival with Alex, Victoria, and Jake. Pastor Jay Claussen. And we're here promoting Paradigm Bible Study with snacks, of course. So tell them what Paradigm is.
0: Uh, So Paradigm is uh, sort of a discussion group, Christ-centered, Bible Bible study sort of thing where we find the intersection between culture and current events and
1: the Christian life. Exciting, right? Right, Alex? Yes, absolutely. Uh, And we just finished, and from what we were told by the student life person, there are more people that signed up for the GAP Bible Club than most of the other clubs and I think they have a total of 15 clubs all together. So I wanted to share with you guys why it is so important that we not only spend time in the schools, in, in the universities, but in the high schools and we do whatever it takes uh, to try to reach our youth and try to reach our young adults. It's extremely important and I want to show you why, so take a look at this. Okay, In the next 24 hours, in the time it takes for you to go home, get a good night's sleep, and wake up and try to figure out what you're going to barbecue for Labor Day, the last holiday for the next four to six weeks, um, in the next 24 hours, 1,000 teen girls will begin sexual relations that end in pregnancy. or. Will become pregnant because they've already started sexual relations. These are the teens and young adults that are in our schools and our community. 500 teenagers, 500 teenagers are going to begin using drugs, and many of those, almost half, are going to end up as addicts, addicted, unable who control or help themselves from the drugs they start using. Now, here's here's the thing that really just shakes me to my core. I mean, those are brutal stats, but six or more of the young adults or teenagers will think that their life doesn't matter. And by tomorrow morning, less than 24 hours, They're going to take their own life. And although these are national statistics and these are things that are going on all over our nation, these are also things that are going on in our community. And it's not going to be solved by a youth group. It's not going to be solved by trying to get our teens to pick up a Bible, a book that they've not been exposed to before. It's only going to be solved by letting our teens know that we love them and that we care about them enough to let them know that there is a God who loves them and who cares about them. It's only going to be solved when we let uh, these 1,000 teenage girls know that God created them beautifully. And wonderfully in his image and if no one else on the planet appreciates that we do and God does and we want nothing for them except to let them know that it's gonna take us uh, telling these 500 teenagers that uh, there's no drug that's going to fill the hole in their heart that they're trying to fill. There's no drug that's going to make them feel like they think this drug is going to make them feel. It's not going to appease them. It doesn't end in a good place. But there is a God who loves them unconditionally and can give them joy despite the pain, despite whatever's going on in their life. And it's going to take us telling those six things that between now and tomorrow morning think that their life, does it matter, and try to, or actually do end up ending their life, it's going to take us stepping in and say, hey, you matter to God, and you matter to us. And it's great when we can do fun things with them, it's great when we can have youth groups with them, but what's really great is when we sit down look them in the face and say, you matter to God.
0: So this morning, I decided to talk a little bit about the children, our youth, uh, the family. The family unit in ancient Israel was a household. And in the Hebrew, the words actually were father's house, which included the patriarch and his wife, Any sons and their wives and any grandchildren and then any other dependents. And they sometimes lived in uh, a large compound or a large gathering of uh, houses. Um, The daughters and granddaughters lived there as well until they were married, at which time they would go and live with their husband's family. They would become part of their husband's family. Um, mothers, nurtured babies, and small children, but much of the, t- uh, of the teaching and discipline fell to the father. Um, even so, with all of the other people living in the household, there was guidance and teaching even from um, many of them. The same should hold true today. We have the parents, the mother and father, who have the uh, principal, primary responsibility of training and teaching and raising their children. We have family. We have church family. We have neighbors. Um, But the family unit and the teaching within it has changed tremendously. And in large part, um, I think is part of the, the mess the world is in today. I can remember when I was, uh, little when I was young many years ago. We used to. Every night. Um, sit on the porch, you know, in the summertime. Sit on the porch. You'd, you'd be in your pajamas. You'd sit on the porch. All the neighbors would be there. It was, you know, and, and that. Doesn't happen a lot anymore. Um, People are too busy trying to live a great life, and they miss what a great life really is. Um, Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 to 9 say this, You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, and all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your head hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We are to love God. Thinking constantly about his commandments, teach commandments to our children and live each day by the guidelines in his word. The Bible is a blueprint for the way in which to live our lives, the way to teach our children and the way to treat others. It was written for the teacher and for the student. God emphasized here the importance of parents teaching the word to their children. It provides so many opportunities for object lessons that it's a shame just to waste those words or limit them to one morning in the week. They are too important to our lives and to the lives of everyone that we touch. Bible truths are most effectively learned in a God-fearing home when they're taught and shown 24-7. The Hebrews were very successful in, in making religion a big part of their life. And the reason for this was that religious education was life-oriented and not information-oriented. You know, anybody can... Memorize a list of things. And and sure, there were things that they memorized. You know, uh, all children have those things. But they were centered around what they did in their lives. And so this made it much easier to learn. They used the context of daily life to teach about God. And the key to teaching a child is stated very clearly in this verse, if you want children to follow God, you must make God a part of your everyday experiences, not just what you do Sunday morning, or not just what you bring them to Sunday morning. You must teach your children to see God in all aspects of life, not just those that are church related. This is how Jesus taught in his ministry. You know, if you look at the parables, this is a prime example of this kind of teaching. Because people understood what he was saying and these very difficult principles that he was trying to teach. Because he related those principles to things that they knew every day, that they lived with every day. The second place that that I wanna look today is in Matthew. Matthew and and the other gospels make it very clear that Jesus loved children. Matthew 19 verses 13 and 15 say, then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. This is demonstrated throughout the Bible, not just here and and in the Gospels, but many other places as well. In Psalms, it says, behold Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Children are God's gifts. Yet, The courts are filled with children abandoned, unwanted, abused, young children kill with guns, and the cycle of mistreatment and hate continues. Our actions speak louder than words. And this is especially true in the home. Children learn values and moral priorities by observing how their parents act and react every day teach them right living you may not even realize what they're learning but they're like little sponges you know and many times they'll say something and it's like was that them talking or was their you know I mean, it sounded just like their dad, or it sounded just like their mom. And and children don't understand that may not be right. They're children. You know, we all have to remember that. I forget it a lot, because I'm 60. And, you know, I was never a child. I was never like that, you know? And that's one thing that Val says to me all the time. He's seven, because it's like, I'm going to pull my hair out sometimes. He's seven, and he is. He's a child. And the one that's 27, he's a child. He's a child. And he always will be, you know, but um, that's that's the way that they are in your heart, and that's the way they'll always be. The third place that I want to look is Proverbs. Now, Proverbs was written mainly by King Solomon, who was considered the wisest man ever. And these verses were probably compiled around 700 BC. They're not quite sure. And he probably didn't write them all, but um, most Bible scholars think that that's around the time that it was compiled. And they're not merely old sayings or, you know, sometimes my mother had a pile of them. My mother always had old sayings, you know. Uh, I- if you're, you know, if you're pregnant, don't don't wash the floor uh, with on your hands and knees. And um, you know, I don't know, just like don't laugh on Fridays. I mean, My mother had a lot of these things. I don't know where they came from, but you know, those were old sayings. People sometimes call what's in proverbs old sayings, but they're not old sayings that concern people that are far away from us. They're universal principles that apply to all people of all times. And they speak to modern problems um, as much as they do to ancient problems because they concern human nature and God's ways. And since the time of King Solomon, Human nature has not changed, and neither has God and his ways. And that's what Proverbs addresses. We may live, you know, in a different time. The landscape may be different. The atmosphere may be different. But our natures are the same. And so we can take these Proverbs and apply them to the way that we live our lives, Um, it applies to daily living in a lot of different topics, just about anything that you might, you know, come across. Uh, There's a lot of them that deal with wealth and work and giving and matters of the heart. Um, And the range and scope of the subject matter encompasses nearly everything that you might come up against in life. And that includes children and raising and teaching them. The first section of the book begins and ends with the statement that fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And this doesn't, as we know, doesn't mean, you know, fear in the way that we think of fear. This means respect and reverence. I I see today, and I don't want this to be some sort of a uh, political commentary or a judgment on my part, but um, children today, many children today, have no respect for themselves uh, or for anybody else. If you don't respect yourself, you can't respect anybody else. And um, that comes from the home. Certainly, everybody else has a responsibility. The schools have a responsibility. But blame for a lot of the things that happen cannot be placed in the hands of the schools or in the hands of the community or in the hands of anybody else. There's a lot of people who take part in that, and it begins in the home. We are failing at our job, our responsibility to bring up children, our children, in the manner in which God intended them to be brought up. I don't mean, you know, individually us. I'm talking about the world and our country and our community. Um I think that you know, we as a congregation, have been blessed, and we have, you know, being God-fearing people, have done a good job in raising our children and um, And that's a blessing to us. and it's a... It's a great testimony to the power of God in our lives and the power of his love in our lives. Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9 says, My son, hear the instructions of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. This verse depicts a father preparing his son for life in the world. Here and other places in Proverbs depicts the mother as a teacher as well. Um, A lot of places in the Bible uh, do not, but um, there are many places uh, uh, um, that do depict mothers as teachers. Um, Paul wasn't so crazy about the idea in a lot of his epistles. But again, that might be political commentary. We're not going there. Um, But mothers have a great part in the teaching of their children. Um, The greatest responsibility God gives is the nurturing, loving, and guiding of children. Repeated throughout is this idea that love requires faithful discipline. Proverbs 13.24 says, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Without discipline, a child will grow up not knowing the difference between right and wrong. And they will have no direction in their lives. Val and uh, and Augie and I got into a discussion the other night about disciplining your child. and, And, you know, I said, you know, sometimes a child needs, you know, I don't know. When I was young and I was disrespectful or I said something to my parents, I sometimes got a little smack in the mouth. We can't do that today, I guess. We get in trouble for that. It didn't hurt me, but um, I think that sometimes that's part of the problem as well you know you correct your child you discipline your child and you know out in public especially you got somebody hovering over you threatening and it's if they get no discipline and they get no guidance what can you expect from them but again you know that's that's political, maybe, and we can't go there. There's a difference between discipline, loving discipline, and brutal discipline. You know? And, And you have to find common ground. You have to find the middle. And with some children... It doesn't matter what you do to them. You know, y- you have to find something that, unfortunately, um, that is going to mean something to them. Whether that's, you know, giving, giving, not giving them access to their Lego blocks, or taking their phone away from them, or not allowing them to see Zach, says the tech team. Um, But, you know, these are all ways, creative ways of, you know, disciplining your child. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Many parents want to make all of the choices and the decisions for their child. This hurts them in the long run. When parents teach a child how to make decisions and let them make decisions that you know may not be exactly the right ones, boy, it hurts. It hurts, ask Val about that. How But you have to let go of them. If you try to instill in them the right values and the right morals, and you know that there's love in their hearts, then you have to let them make their decisions and let them make their mistakes. You know, now, I'm not saying let Michael run out into the middle of the road and, you know, like that kind of decision. He's certainly not old enough to make any decisions himself because uh, I'm a little afraid of what decisions Mike might make. But he's a boy. He's seven. Um, some of the hardest things are when your child is hurt and you want to lash out You're like a mother tiger And believe me, Val has that school on speed dial. (laughs) Something wrong goes (laughs) goes on at that school. Val's on the phone. Oh, it's Val again. But she knows everything that's going on in her children's lives. She knows where they are. She knows what they're doing. She knows what's being said to them. And she's there for them, no matter what. If you teach a child right decision-making, you know that they'll remain on the right path, even if you're not around, even if you're not there. You know that these children are equipped to make decisions to process the things going on in their lives. What would happen if God made all the decisions for us? God gave us free will. Sure, it got us into lots of trouble. You know, he let us make our own decisions, and boy, boy, has that hurt him, huh? Has that hurt his heart? He's a parent. He's a father. But, Without those decisions, without that ability to make decisions, there would be no need to learn, no need for correction or refining. You'd never get any better. You'd never, your heart would never get enhanced or or get better, or your love would never grow. Faith would never grow. There simply wouldn't be anything. That's not the way that God designed us, and the world. There's another proverb, 22:15 15, says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. There's that rod of correction again. Children often do foolish things because they don't understand the consequences and no matter what you say to them. They simply don't understand the consequences. That can't happen to me. Unfortunately, it can and it does. Wisdom and common sense are not transferred by just being a good example. Just because you set that fine example at home doesn't mean that your child is going to be equipped to make those decisions. That has to be taught. The rod of correction mentioned here again doesn't mean you get a switch and have at the child. A lot of people kind of use that spare the rod and spoil the child type thing to mean, you know, you beat them silly. A lot of people who uh, talk kind of bad on Christians say, oh, yeah, what about that? The rod is not necessarily a switch or a club or a belt. It is, as I said before, the way that you discipline your child. It's discipline, not beating, not abuse, not even anger. It's trying to teach them right thinking and trying to instill in their hearts a love for God. And from that, everything else comes and grows. It's like you plant a seed. And God talks, Jesus talked a lot about you know seeds and farmers and growing and reaping you plant a seed and you water it and you nurture it and some at some point down the road the seed blossoms and it grows and it gives fruit that's what a child is a child is a seed it's your seed And the child, you know, what you plant today may not be reaped for many, many, many years. But eventually, it comes to fruition. And that's where that word comes from. Fruition. Fruit (coughs) that has reached its point where it's done, it's ready. I never thought of that before, but that's where the word comes from. Um, a child needs guidance. Uh, I was reading a book um, a while back, but this came to mind, and I had. Adrian, okay. I had to find what book it was, and I found it. I searched every one until I found it, and I want to read this because this was be- this was very interesting to me. It says years ago, at um, the largest game reserve in South Africa, they developed an overpopulation of elephants. The curators decided to take 300 of the youngest male elephants and separate them from their parents and the other adult elephants. These 300 orphan elephants were taken to another park where the white rhinoceros has reigned as the dominant animal there, the dominant king of the park. The rhinoceros has no natural enemies. None. Nothing stalks it, not even a lion or a tiger. The rhino is simply too powerful, and the other animals in the animal kingdom know that. So as such, the curators felt that there would be no problem mixing the orphan elephants in with the rhinos. There wouldn't be a problem. But... Over time, they began to find dead rhinos out in the brush. And they couldn't understand what was happening. So they set up surveillance cameras so that they could figure out what was going on. And to their surprise, they found that those young male elephants, the ones that no longer had a father or a mother figure, had formed gangs and they had viciously attacked the rhino population. It's not even in the elephant's God-given natural instincts to act this way. But the lack of parental guidance, even in the elephants, brought on this strange and deadly phenomenon. Do you think that something similar is happening with our youth today. The reason kids get in trouble can often be traced to the fact that they don't have positive role models in their lives. They don't have anybody praying for them. They don't have father figures. The term baby daddy comes to mind, which is a, a term that I don't know, it's again, I don't, I don't want to be political here, but um, it doesn't mean that these children are a lost cause. It's simply a fact that without parental guidance, children sometimes do things they might not do if mom and dad were around. Think about when you go away on vacation the first time and you leave that 18-year-old home don't you worry just a little bit. You know, what are they going to do if I'm not there to, like, go and the chase them in the car and say, you know, hey, are you where you said you're going to be? We have a responsibility to reach out and to help children grow into responsible adults. Children aren't born with hate in their hearts. They're not born with a gun in their hands. And they're not born hardwired to know how to build a bomb out of a pressure cooker. All of these things are learned. And if they're smart enough to learn these things, then they're smart enough to learn about love and about God, and about what's better for them in this life. Any child coming to my house is treated like he's one of mine. Don't go near the road. Don't be a bully. Don't argue with your friends. Respect your parents. Stay in school. God watches over you. I pray for you. Let's talk about God a little bit. Most of them run the other way. But all of them, when they come to my house, are treated like mine. And I think that's why kids like coming to our house. You know, because they know that there's people there that love them, that care for them. In my life, I've not been blessed to have a child. But I have many children. And I consider the children in my life, my nieces and my nephews, like they're my own. I'm especially blessed to be part of the same household as some of them and have participated in some small way to their upbringing. And I'm thankful to my brother and to Val that they've shown God's love for children with the addition of two adopted children to their two biological ones. I think, you know, it takes a very special person to take that love, um, and and if you're able to, um, bring children who may not have the best of life into your home and um, have them become one of your own. Last weekend, I went to the wedding of the daughter of my oldest and dearest friend. I've known her for 40 years. And um, the daughter, who's 28, was so happy. I mean, you can see it in her, in her face and in her eyes, the joy and the happiness. And she's been through a few things, and um, it was just so wonderful to see. And during the wedding ceremony, the, m- the minister, ask the parents to commit to being there beside the couple as they build their lives together. You know, do you parents um, commit to being there with them, to continue to teach them and to help them with their lives? And the parents said, we will. Then she had the couple turn and face the congregation. And the minister asked all of us if we would be there for that couple to support and to celebrate and grieve to teach, to guide. This, to me, was what living life together should be. We all actually had to say, yes, we will. And of course, I cried the whole way through. The whole way through the ceremony, the whole way through the reception the whole way through the introduction, the whole way through the bridal dance, the dance with the father, dance with the mother. It got to be kind of a running joke (laughs) because (laughs) I'd go up to one of them and say, made it through that, made it through the receiving line, hardly cried at all. But this is what I meant when I said living lives together. Being responsible for a child. And it's not just our children, it's children. And as a result, this gets me all the way back to the very beginning. It takes a village, it takes a village. And we can affect the lives of our children as parents, as friends, as family, or even people that aren't our children. Fill the gap. Children just want love. It takes a village. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the children in our lives. Everybody, say a prayer for your children and for the children in this world that they may know God and they may see God through us and through our love of them. God, help us to go through our lives this week And in the coming weeks, as God-fearing parents and adults, as God-fearing people, and as your children, and it's a privilege and an honor to be called one of yours. We ask for strength and, and faith and hope and love and those are the important things we ask all of this through your son Jesus Christ who died so that we might live amen I hope everybody has a wonderful week Um, pastor will be back next week And um, I'm sure we'll have a critique ready. But everybody have a great week. Go out and show your love to somebody in this world.